This is Y-Tune Shuffle. Y-Tune Shuffle, it's the music that informs our lives. The rules here are that there are no rules other than just bring in your music, mm. hit play. And then we get to pick your brain about why those songs. In spite of ourselves, we'll end up sitting on a rainbow. When I hear that song, it reminds me that the relationship I was in is not that. It wasn't in spite of ourselves. I feel like the person I'm supposed to be with, that's what it's going to feel like. So that's been my barometer for what I think love and relationships should be. Welcome to Y-Tune Shuffle, a celebration of the music that inspires our lives. With your hosts, comedian and radio personality Maggie Mayfield and Hollywood's secret weapon, David Earl Waterman. This is Y-Tune Shuffle. Welcome to another episode of Y-Tune Shuffle. Is that what this is? Yes. Y-Tune Shuffle. This is Maggie Mayfield, your host. With me as always, David Earl Waterman, a.k.a. Hollywood's secret weapon. Hey, now. And you've brought a lovely guest into the studio. Welcome, Steve Bean. Thank you. I am lovely, and it is lovely to be here. <laughs> That's my Steve, favorite word right Steve now. Steve <laughs> and I met in the Boston comedy scene. I could tell because he was wearing shorts that said that has the big B on it. And the hat. And the hat, yeah. Cool. And then reunited and got even closer with uh, uh, a venue that uh, was called the Fake Gallery, Paul Kozlowski's Fake Gallery, where comics of all backgrounds were allowed to just have free reign, and Steve and I have been on stage together. Oh, great. Uh, and uh, You do improv also? I do. Teaches it and, and does it. Oh, wow. And Paul Kozlowski of the Fake Gallery, who you mentioned, is also... Uh, from the Boston comedy scene by way of New York, courtesy of the legendary Barry Crimmins. Did you see the documentary that Bob Goldthwaite made on I did. And in fact, I'm going to see Bob tomorrow night, and I haven't seen him in years. And the one thing that I want to be certain to do is to pull him aside for a moment and just say, God, I loved your movie, uh, Call Me Lucky, and it was moving and wonderful, and thank you for doing it. It was a documentary about... uh, Barry Crimmins, the godfather and great-grandfather of Boston comedy. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, this Barry Crimmins essentially was the reason why the comedy, the explosion, like the 80s with the mm-hmm. Ding Ho. Did you, you performed at the Ding Ho. Yeah, Barry started it. Wow. Talk about who came out of that genre. As far as I know, uh, Barry and uh, Stephen Wright, Paula Poundstone, Dennis Leary, Bob Goldthwaite, Lenny Clark, those are the people that came right out of the Ding Ho. And then after the explosion exploded, you had Louis C.K. and Janine Garofalo. And I know I'm missing some others, but... Uh, yeah, that, that, and that followed the Ding Ho. You performed at the Ding Ho. I did. What, what, was, very, that, what, what was the Ding Ho? It was a, a Chinese restaurant <laughs> with a Western theme. What? Yeah, Chinese That had three rooms uh, sold out uh, comedy every night. So they'd have three rooms... Three shows going on simultaneously, and this core of uh, Boston comics that uh, would perform there, uh, Steve Sweeney, uh, Lenny Clark, Jimmy Tingle, Bob Lazarus, Mike Donovan. Um, I I was one of the many interlopers. I came in from Pittsburgh, and I moved there, and people would move there because uh, you, you found out that you could make a living there, and you could work every night. And you know Ed Driscoll. I, yeah, and I'll see him tomorrow night, too. I'm going. Okay, great. Yeah. I mean, what's the deal? Can you tell us about it? I will what's, tell what's, you. What's the deal? There's a big show. Yeah, a big oh. show. As your listeners may have noticed, I am wearing a tiny, fake, plastic nose 
in the middle of my face. It doesn't look realistic at all. (laughs) (laughs) I know. You know, you think I'm wearing it because all the cool kids are wearing plastic. But uh, I have a rare form of cancer called sinonasal squamous cell carcinoma. Say that four times fast. Okay. That's a nose full. (laughs) (laughs) Or as I call it, nose cancer. And (laughs) there was a tumor uh, in my sinuses. This is funny stuff, comedy stuff, right? There was a tumor in my sinuses, and in order to get the tumor out of there, Uh they had to perform a surgery, which is called a schnauzophamy. Now, (laughs) a schnauzophamy, uh, in medical terms, is also known as a rhinoplasty or a rhinectomy, which means that they amputate your nose. Oh my God. Sawed off shotgun. They amputated my nose in order to get to the, um, what are they called again? Tumor. Tumor. Thank you. They also had to remove the front upper two thirds of my upper palate, including all of my upper teeth. So I have no nose. I have seven teeth altogether. And uh, they are making for me a prosthesis uh, a nose, a, a silicone nose that supposedly will look like a nose. Well, cool. apparently, I'm sure it will, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So as as opposed to this thing, which looks like I, you know, I went out to buy a, a mask for, for V for Vendetta and I could only afford part of it, <laughs> you know? But, uh, yeah. So, yeah. Oh, so in any case, so tomorrow night uh, at 8 o'clock at Vitello's in Studio City, Wendy Liebman is uh, uh, graciously hosting a benefit to help myself and my family with our medical bills. Mm -hmm. And this is a comedy show which features Wendy Liebman, Ed Driscoll, who you mentioned, Bob Goldthwaite, who we mentioned, Laura Keitlinger, Dana Gould, Brian Kiley, Brian Frazier, and uh, a number of Boston comics, uh, many of whom I haven't seen in 30 years since I moved here. It's amazing. But who, uh, through their kindness and Wendy's kindness, are coming together to, to raise money to help me pay for my uh, silicone nose. And when, when is that, that going to roll off the assembly line? Sooner the better, but, but it, it's hard to say. They, they told me that the entire process would be a year-long process. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that began with a 12-hour surgery on March 12th. So I could have my new nose in one month, or I could have my new nose in, in six months. I, I don't know. Okay, so just waiting on that. And now that uh, the diagnosis has happened, and you're, what, what, what level of, of recovery are you in right now? I finished a seven-week course of chemo and radiation four and a half weeks ago. So I should have about three more weeks of recovery before I have uh, my strength back and my appetite back and so on. And how, yeah. did, when when people know you're a comedian, talk about you know how the comedy started and and a little bit about what's it like to have a, a rare form of cancer diagnosis with a pretty, I mean, huge surgery. You had a huge nose, one of the bigger. Wow. Uh, I mean, that was a yes, big I surgery, you, yeah. know? you know. In fact, uh, they, they did, they had, in order to remove my nose, they uh, they had to use a steam shovel. Yeah. With, with a team of 12 men. Well, no wonder uh, it was so expensive. Yeah. And, uh, and Thomas Train pulled. And, well, actually, a, a giant sort of hoe pulled by, you know, an oxen took my, my nose out of, uh, of the operating room. To be um, a fly on that operating room wall. Mm-hmm. <laughs> One of, uh, a friend of mine basically said, leave it to you 
to have a disease that isn't funny at all in <laughs> such a way that it has to be fucking hilarious. Well, I mean, who got, who gets their nose removed? And to know no. Steve Bean's comedy, <laughs> you know, it, it really is. You know, it's it's fitting in a way. I mean, then did, did how has the comedy helped? If you know, if, or for, hasn't it? I mean, what what can we uh, learn from this? For a long time in this process so far, I completely lost my sense of humor. You did, and it wasn't funny at all. Mm -hmm. And I was in a very dark depression. Mm -hmm. and there was nothing funny about the nose. There was nothing funny about the cancer. There was nothing funny about anything. And it had to be fear. I mean, that's a pretty scary thing to face. Lots of fear. Yeah. Lots of fear. And I told myself my sense of humor will, will come back. I hope, I think, I pray. And... It did. Maybe it's not even all the way here yet, based on this conversation. Um, but uh, that's okay. It will. Um, it is slowly returning. Um, I, I came up with a good line the other day. I, I said to Caroline, "In it, when I'm at home, Caroline is my wife. When I'm at home, Caroline is my wife." Okay, um, that's good. <laughs> Thanks for clarifying that, Steve. We'll, we'll get into the away wife. Uh -huh. What I was going to say was, when I'm at home, I don't wear my nose. Mm -hmm. So at, at home, I'm just a guy with a hole in his face and mm -hmm. a little triangle of gauze over in, in his. Uh, Do you play you know. Voldemort? <laughs> So I was getting dressed and I said to Caroline, you know, one of the big pluses of uh, not having a nose is it's so much easier to put on and take off your T-shirts. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> right? Go figure. And that, that was the line that was the return of my sense of humor, mm -hmm. with, only within the last week or two. Mm -hmm. I think a question a lot of people ask because cancer is, is no stranger and... Uh, to a lot of people, and uh, but it's always a, a unique and individual experience. But how did you find it? Are you a nose picker type person, or you what? know, I, I want to confess that uh, <clears throat> I I did pick my nose. Okay, I, I just you know, uh, it's good. Let's put that out in the open. Yeah. Let's just be real. And okay? if, and if I if you're I, not alone, my friend, yeah. you're not you're not alone. <laughs> and if I had a nose, I I would I would pick it again. Fair enough. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, and the reason I picked my nose is because I wanted to be able to breathe through my nose. And I couldn't breathe through my nose unless I did some excavating. <laughs> but I don't think that that was the cause of the cancer. What well, I, how'd you find it? What I had was um, chronic congestion and I had nosebleeds. I had chronic nosebleeds. Mm. This started around Thanksgiving of this past year. My nose would bleed every day, sometimes two or three times. Oh my God. My, my nose became completely congested, like utterly congested, couldn't, couldn't breathe through it at all. So I went to see an ear, nose, and throat guy. His name was Dr. Amanpour. I want to plug him, Dr. Amanpour, because I can say when I go to see Dr. Amanpour, I'm in poor hands. Okay? <laughs> Guy was a dick. In any oh, case. Real? Oh, real? Okay. Yes. Hey, okay. doesn't matter. He won't hear this. Yeah. Could be any Dr. Amanpour, not be. necessarily the one I'm talking about. Indeed. And he says, you have chronic sinusitis, you have polyps, and you have a deviated septum. Like, okay. He said, we're going to take care of it, bing, bang, boom, with one outpatient uh, thing. And so I go in for the one outpatient thing. He also does a biopsy, calls me up a couple of days later, says, please come into the office. 
And that was when I said to myself, oh, shit. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So we go in the office, me and Caroline, and he says, and this is a quote, he says, I do not have good news for you. This is cancer. Wow. The next day, we went into UCLA, and we've been at UCLA Health in Westwood ever since. And they've done a, uh, we love them. We oh, love good. Them. Yeah. Yeah. I had my surgery and my biopsy on the 9th of February, and on the 12th of February, I got my diagnosis. Yeah, so it's... Um, my nose was swollen and misshapen. That's how bad it was. The tumor was ginormous. Wow. And so I looked like a boxer. I had this big, yeah. grotesque nose in the middle of my face. And I went to get a coffee at the little coffee stand outside of the hospital. And the young kid working behind the counter looks at me and goes, Hey, you used to fight a lot? Oh. And I'm like, No. No, but but you and I are going to fight right now. Um, <laughs> I'm going to. I have a tag for you. Okay. When someone asks about it, you're like, "Stop being so nosy." Oh, definitely. Okay, Genius. Good. All right. Genius. Okay, good. That would not. That one would not have occurred to me. That's a, a stretch. Stop. <laughs> Maggie is a pro comic yeah. stand up of the next generation. I have a friend who's always who every day calls me up with some terrible, you know. Uh, just keep your nose out of my business. Don't be so nosy. Keep, you know, um, uh, here's one. I have no feeling in my upper lip because they, they cut away the, you know, I have an upper lip, but the feeling has not yet returned to yeah, it. Yeah. So he tells me, keep a stiff upper lip, you know. Um, and I was saying to my son a couple of days ago, what's ironic and terrible is I, I, the, the one thing that I can feel in my upper lip, pain. Mm. Other than that, I can wow. feel nothing in my upper lip. Mm-hmm. Well, you speak very well. Like, you sound great. Thank you. And that's not so bad, considering on the top I have no teeth. Yeah. On the bottom I got yeah. seven little tiny ones. Because yeah. the first photo I saw with a bigger post-surgery, mm-hmm. you know, you before the chemo, and mm-hmm. I don't think that you'd lost any teeth at that point or whatever, but initially when we were talking... You know, I was like, where's Steve Bean coming? And now, now I'm hearing Steve Bean. Now that well, I think I'm, I'm over the sort of initial. What I have is an obdurator. Mm-hmm. An obdurator is a temporary upper palate, mm-hmm. which is essentially like, you, it's either like having a hockey puck in your mouth. Nice. Somebody shoves a hockey puck in your mouth and mm-hmm. shoves it up where your upper palate used to be. Or it's more like somebody made an ashtray at camp in 1973 (laughs) and now that's in my mouth substituting for upper teeth it is basically a an upper denture with no teeth and gradually starting this monday morning they're going to start giving me some teeth oh good cool i've been on a liquid diet and and before i stopped drinking i was on a liquid diet too so it's it's not old habits Mm -hmm. you know it's just when it goes around comes around you're a stand-up comedian. What was your first? Oh, what was your first stand-up experience? Yeah, like, what well, do you remember the first time you got on stage? Your first yes. Open mic? Um, first of all, I want to clarify that that although I am a comedian and that I am a funny person like you, David, mm. I am no longer a stand-up comic. Mm. I do not do stand-up. Okay, but you... although I did for many years professionally, and I've been a comedy writer and an improv performer and a comedy actor, blah blah blah. There was a club in Pittsburgh where I studied theater. I studied acting at Carnegie Carnegie Mellon University, and there was a uh, little club nearby called The Portfolio, and we saw a sign in the window, Tuesday night, open mic night, and we went down there, uh, my my partner Chris Zito and I, 
And we discovered that on open mic night, if you perform, you get $5 and free beer. Heck yeah. Now, you guys, done and done. Yeah, yeah. So you guys both, you both like, you totally got a boner. Both of you got a, I saw you go, yeah, wow. Yeah. $5. Now you have to pay $5 free, for three right. minutes of stage time. $5 and free beer. So we went there and started going every Tuesday. And the, the name that I can drop or the sort of a way to place it in time is that Dennis Miller is from Pittsburgh. And when we started out as open micers in Pittsburgh in 1981, Dennis was the one and only premier locally famous comic of, uh, of Pittsburgh. Can we dig into some songs? Let's Please. do I'm it. I'm so Here curious as to what you brought. Here's Steve B's All right, song, song number, number one. one. Number one. We're so sorry, Uncle Albert. We're so sorry. We caused you any pain We're so sorry Uncle Albert But there's no one left at home And I believe I'm gonna rain I love when people bring the Beatles to this show Oh gosh the song that you are listening to is called Uncle Albert, Admiral Halsey uh, by Paul and Linda McCartney. When it came out in 1971, it was panned. Uh, it was trashed. And McCartney says that's because people didn't want to hear a Paul McCartney album. They certainly didn't want to hear a Paul and Linda McCartney album. They wanted to hear a Beatles album. Mm-hmm. So the critics, they trashed it. And they were wrong. Because if you go now to any rock and roll encyclopedia or website or wikipedia be it rolling stone or you name it they will tell you that this is a four-star album this is a classic album some people say that it is the first indie pop uh, album rolling stone in particular acknowledges their mistake oh really that's why i like to point them out and poke them and pick on them because they did trash it when it came out and in their Encyclopedia of Rock now, they say, yes, we did. And they say, yes, we were wrong. This is a classic, unbelievable uh, album. What did, how did you get it? I mean, what, what, okay. what, how did it come into your world? My uh, grandfather, who always got me the best Hanukkah presents, <laughs> uh, one year for Hanukkah when I was 11, and that was in 1971, bought me a transistor radio. You remember those, David. I do. Um, (laughs) 53 today, actually today. Happy birthday. Thank you. A transistor radio, and it had a a single earplug. You know, there were no headsets, there were no earbuds, and you plugged that little one plug into your ear. And after I got in bed at night and my parents thought I was sleeping, I would plug in my earplug and turn on the radio and turn around the dial and and listen for songs, and all of a sudden, this song came up, and I was mesmerized and shocked and in love and i think the the title that i gave my set list for the show today if i remember correctly my the title of this set list is five songs that made me go holy the first time i ever heard them that's the Uh steve bean theme okay Uh so this song uncle albert admiral halsey came on the radio and i i couldn't believe it it was the greatest thing i had ever heard i actually the next morning told my mom 
That's how excited I was wow. that I would find a middle-aged person who didn't care a, a whit about any music at all and tell her mom, you'll never believe what happened last night. I heard a song called Uncle Albert, Admiral Halsey, et cetera, et cetera. Turns out, I found out that this fellow, Paul McCartney, had been in a band called The Beatles. So that was probably the first 45 I ever bought. That was probably the first album I ever bought. And it was because I heard it on the radio. Can you paint a picture of what your bedroom looked like? Did you have posters? Were there like the stars on the ceiling? I mean, Well, I was only 11, so I wasn't a teenager yet. Okay. And I didn't have my Paul McCartney posters yet because I was just discovering Paul McCartney. Yes. But this uh, began a lifelong obsession and love affair with McCartney, Mm -hmm. which continues to this very day. So within the year, maybe even within the week or two, my bedroom would have been uh, transformed into a shrine to Paul (laughs) McCartney because I went out and I bought every poster I could find, every, every article, every magazine, every picture. Yeah. And so the whole place within a week or two would have been covered with pictures of Paul McCartney. And not the Beatles, mind you, Paul Solo McCartney. Interesting. What were the chores that you did to earn the money to to buy all this stuff? Well, as I said to my dad one day, I have to do everything. Uh So I did everything. I took out the garbage and I and I wiped the dishes. You Everything. Do like, odd, <laughs> like, odd, like uh, my girlfriends and I, we would save up all summer to go to Six Flags or like the boardwalk, the you know down the shore. We would just show up at people's houses, like, "Hey, can we rake your leaves and pull your weeds? Do you, can we wash your car?" Like we would just literally stomp at every house that was within walking distance with a bucket and like, "Hey, what can we do for five bucks?" For me, I think I just saved my allowance. Oh yeah, which was. I mean, literally, probably my dad gave me like a quarter Uh on the weekends, but it turns out four of them made a dollar, and for a dollar, you could buy a poster at a yard sale. Yeah. Who was living in the house at that time? You're 11. Me, mom, dad, my older sister, Lauren, and my younger sister, Jill. And this was in... uh, Providence, Rhode Island. Providence, Rhode Island. uh, In a a small, uh, in a Jewish neighborhood. Um, Lauren and Jill shared a bedroom. I had my own uh, bedroom. Uh, It was small up on the second floor but you know as they say it was home it was uh there was a lot of loving what'd your dad do for a living uh my dad we used to say he was a industrial engineer and then we changed that to he is a productivity consultant which means he hires himself out to a company or a factory and looks at the program of how they operate and designs a system for them whereby they can be more productive and produce more and earn more and ideally spend less. Did your mom work? She was an elementary school teacher for 25 years. Ah, cool. The same school that you went to? No. Mom taught at a public Goyesha school in South Attleboro, Massachusetts, and I went to a private all-Jewish school, a yeshiva, right down the street from us in Providence. Were your parents the kind that were like, you have to find a nice Jewish girl? Yep, and I never did. (laughs) I'm I'm on my second and final non-Jewish wife. Uh Uh, I never dated a single Jewish person in my life. I never had a relationship with a Jewish woman in, in my life. All of my loved ones, you know, female, have been shiksa, which is non-Jewish. So I was raised with the understanding that you must date only Jews, you must marry only Jews, 
and I did neither. <laughs> Rebel. <laughs> yeah. You ready for song number two? Please. That's a nice intro. There you go. Get it, get it, man. Get it, get it. We dance here. We get it, we get it, we dance. I've never heard this word. Because I love it. Ladies and gentlemen, that is uh, Here Comes the Sun by Steve Harley and Cockney Rebel. Of course, that's a cover of the Beatles song, uh, Here Comes the Sun, written by George Harrison. When I was 16, I went to a birthday party for my friend uh, Rodney Hansen. And it was at a uh, Chinese restaurant in Providence that was uh, owned by the parents of another friend. Uh-huh. And they had a record player, and they they played records. That's what you had in those days was records. And all of a sudden, I heard that song. The the cover? This cover. This Steve Harley, Here Comes the Sun. Yeah. And I said, oh, my God. Rodney, what is that? Who is that? He said, it's Steve Harley. Like who? Steve Harley and Cockney Rebel. They are British. It's called Here Comes the Sun. And it's from the album uh, called Love's a Prima Donna. Now... If you know them at all in America, it's because the movie The Full Monty. Remember the movie The Full Monty? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Who was the friend? Uh, it was his birthday party? It was Rodney's birthday party, mm-hmm. but his friend, either Alfred or Albert Chen or Chen or Chung or Chang. <laughs> Here we go. His mom and dad at a Chinese restaurant. And so that's where the party was. Cool. At the Chinese restaurant. At the Chinese That's restaurant. That's a theme now. Ding yeah. Ho, the Chang's, mm-hmm. Chang's place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, wow. And you guys were close? Uh, no. Oh, just a, okay. Just one of those like. But, but uh, just, hey, we're having a party. Oh, I'll come to it. You're my friend now because you're having a party. <laughs> but, uh, Already L.A. Rodney's, uh, Rodney uh, Hansen had an older brother with just this fantastic sort of Peter Frampton, David Cassidy, Rex Smith. 1970s hairdo and he was a pothead and i hadn't started smoking pot yet but i was starting to think about it (laughs) and i had a a fascination and so i was in study hall one morning and i overhear rodney hansen's brother who was a couple years ahead of us lean over to a friend it was first thing in the morning and he said before school this morning i smoked Five bowls of gold. Mm. And I thought to myself, oh my God, is he a pirate? <laughs> I mean, and not only does <laughs> he's a leprechaun. Right, and, and not only does he not only does he hoard gold, he smokes it. He smokes his, his treasure. And and that began a a fascination and love affair with marijuana that would last almost as long as my fascination and love affair with Paul McCartney. McCartney. Uh, That's so great. That love affair is over. Not McCartney, but marijuana. Actually, McCartney's love affair with marijuana continues, Mm -hmm. but not mine. No. After my, all four of my grandparents have been diagnosed with some form of cancer, and my parents tell this wonderful story about, specifically my mom's mom when she was going through breast cancer, and how she found out that 
my folks did smoke weed a lot and my dad would sell it a lot and she would start asking for it and have to like hide it from grandpa and they would just come in because it was the only thing that made her feel better it was the only thing that like calmed her down and and helped with the treatment i was so happy to see you guys bopping and rocking to here comes the sun by steve harley because it truly rocks and 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 he does too and that's my bucket list thing uh, if it turns out that they tell me this cancer is going to kill me, I'm going to go to I'm going to go over to England and, and see him perform. I hope you missed the show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, ho- I hope that's a ticket you don't buy, my friend. You know what? Even even if they tell me I'm going to live, I'm, I'm going to go. There you go. All yeah. Right. All right. Next song. Why don't you tell me about the mystery dance? I want to know about the mystery dance. Why don't you show me? Because I tried and I tried and I'm still mystified. I can't do it anymore and I'm not satisfied. Well, I remember when the lights went out. And I was trying to make it look like it was never in doubt. She thought that I knew and I thought that she knew. So both of us were willing, but we didn't know how to do it. Why don't you tell me about the mystery dance? I want to know about the mystery dance. This is not the Elvis Costello I recognize. Wow. Oh, you might be too young. That is Mystery Dance by Elvis Costello from his first album, My Aim is True, which came out in 1977. Nice. So in 1977, Elvis Costello uh, made his first album and his first splash. And I saw a picture of him in the Providence uh, Sunday newspaper. And it's that classic picture of him from the front of the first album with his nerdy Buddy Holly glasses and his shirt and tie and his suit and his uh, pigeon-toed look and a dork with an electric guitar. And I took one look at that picture and I said, this guy rocks, man. Mm -hmm. This is fantastic. So based on the picture alone, I went out and bought the album. On the photograph of Elvis Costello, that's what launched it. Oh, my God. Based on the picture, I bought the album. And I'll bet you a lot of people did. Mm. Was there like a local mom and pop shop that you would go buy all your records from? Yeah, there was a place in downtown Providence called um, Moffitt's Music. Mm -hmm. And another place down called Beacon Records that I I would go to. So I went and I bought that album, uh, My Aim is True, put it on. And David, I see you nodding your head because you can remember what it was like to hear that first Elvis album for the first time and say, holy shit, something is happening. Yeah, something was (laughs) happening. That was the beginning of the change, the new wave. And yeah. Yep. Yep. So I took my sister's stereo because her stereo, her her record player had detachable speakers. Mm -hmm. Mine was all one unit. The, The speaker came out of the record player. But so I was 17. I lay down on the floor of my bedroom. I put one speaker adjacent to my left ear, and I put one speaker adjacent to my right ear, and I lay there and I listened to Elvis Costello's first album over and over and over again. Wow. And I want to steal a story from our mutual friend, Ed Driscoll, and tell you this great story. Okay. In 1977, Ed, who is approximately my age, was also a high school student and also a music fan. And it was the day that the the new Kiss album was being released. Kiss Destroyer. Destroyer, uh, yeah. You guys picture Kiss in your head what they look like. So my buddy Ed and his buddy, they go to the record store to purchase the new Kiss Destroyer album. And behind the counter is a poster for this new artist, Elvis Costello. And it features the picture that I described to you. The nerdy guy 
with the Buddy Holly glasses and the shirt and tie and the pigeon-toed suit. And so Ed and his buddy stand at the counter, both with a copy of their Kiss Destroyer album. (laughs) (laughs) And they look at the picture of Elvis Costello, and they have this discussion. Is that guy serious? Uh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. No, he isn't. He's not. Yes, man. I'm telling you, he's serious. No, he's not. Man, that guy is serious. I can't believe it. <laughs> right? Two copies of Kiss Destroyer, please. Yeah, can we get the clown album? Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 uh, Completely uh. panning Elvis. But I pay. never thought about that. I mean, that the, the visual element really kind of came in, I think, probably when you... you, you professional wrestling and rock and roll that, that's what struck me about kiss was what why do they have clown makeup on mm-hmm. this, this this doesn't compute and makes complete sense that it would be the visual attraction so i just i loved that that they were there to buy their kiss albums they're holding their kiss albums proudly <clears throat> take one look at a picture of Elvis costello and say what a loser that guy that's <laughs> right? funny. little did they know funny. and as it turns out ed now is of course a big elvis fan like anybody else you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. My son Jake went to see Elvis for the first time at the Greek a couple weeks ago. Oh, With nice. you? Uh, no, I had cancer, so I stayed home. Um, <laughs> oh, no. I, I wasn't. I didn't have any of my energy back yet. I stayed home. Sure. Yeah. yeah. And the report was. Uh, Jake loved it. Good. Mm. Loved it. You said that you and Jake do this really special thing where you get online and share music now. Yes, we do. And uh, David, you were telling me about how this podcast came to be, and it came to be by basically friends playing songs for each other. Mm-hmm. And and I said, remember when, when we were teenagers and your buddy would come over and he would bring some records? Or when you were in college and your friend would come over and you'd sit down and, hey, I'm going to play this record for you and I'm going to play this song for you. You'd go back and forth, back and forth. And so Jake and I do that. Um, for his first several years, I force-fed him Beatles music and Paul McCartney music, and then it gradually changed to where now he turns me on to his music. So we sit down with the computer, and I go, have you heard this? And I'll play him a song. He says, have you heard this? And he plays me a song. And we define it with a song called uh, We Can Get Together by a band called The Hold Steady from Brooklyn. And it's from an album called Heaven Is Whenever. And the lyric is, heaven is whenever, we can get together, sit down on your floor, and listen to your records. And that's what we're doing now. No, we're so sitting on the floor here, listening to my records, talking about the music, you yeah. know? That's... Is there um, a particular song or group that he's introduced you to that you might not have, that might not have been on your radar? He introduces me to so much stuff that's not on my radar. Anything that you've like f- actually fallen for, you're like, yeah, man, you, you nailed it. It's hard to remember. We, we have so much in common now with our music, it's hard to remember who turned on who to what. That's okay. But we're both big fans of a, a, a group called the Gaslight Anthem. We're both big fans of a group called the Hold Steady that I mentioned. Uh-huh. I think he turned me on to LCD Sound System. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Andrew was talking about that. Yep. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Number four. About running before we were walking. 
Don't call me Shirley. No? Okay. <laughs> Billy Bragg. Billy Bragg is the recording artist. The song is called Greetings to the New Brunette. It is from his difficult third album, which is called Talking with the Tax Man about Poetry. Have you guys ever heard that song before? No. no. Have you guys ever heard Billy Bragg before? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Billy Bragg is another um, British singer and songwriter. That song, I think, came out in, I'm going to say maybe 87. And that I heard on the radio, and within one phrase of, of hearing that, I was hooked on Billy Bragg. That 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 voice of his, that Cockney dialect uh, of his. I mean, it didn't take the whole song. I, I heard one phrase of him singing that song you on the re- radio. You remember that day? Yes, I do. What was what was going on? It was a, a summer's day. I was standing out on the back patio at our place in, in South Pasadena. I had the radio on listening to, to K-Rock. This was back at a time when K-Rock still played music that was listenable. Um, <laughs> and um, this song, it, it might even have, it, it was so brief, it might have even just been like a commercial for his album. So it wasn't even the whole song. And my ears just went boing. And I immediately, you know, started, I said, okay, who is it? He said, blah, 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 Billy Bragg. And I went out and bought the Billy Bragg album. It's a great album. And, and today, Jake is a big fan of Billy Bragg as well. And he met Billy Bragg. What I like about Billy Bragg, among other things, including, of course, his music, is um, he started as what they call in Britain a busca. B-U-S-K-E-R, a busker, which means a guy who stands outside with his guitar and sings, okay. but mostly down in the trains, down in the subway. Billy Bragg had an amplifier and a cheap electric guitar. He wore his amplifier on his back like a backpack, oh. plugged in, and went through the the subway trains of, of, of London singing w- with his electric guitar and the amplifier on his back. And that was how he got his start okay so jake met him one time a couple years ago and billy was nice enough hello but then whoever introduced jake to to billy bragg said you know jake is is in a band jake plays a guitar and that made billy billy bragg stop and jake does the story much better and he does the impression much better but billy bragg turned to my son uh, to acknowledge that you know, I love that you're in a band, and I love that you make music. And he said, it's a great thing that you're in a, a, a band because you're never going to make somebody cry with a tweet. <laughs> and you're never going to change somebody's life with a, a Facebook posting. So it's great that, that you play guitar and you sing and you're in a band. And you're never going to make somebody cry with a tweet. That's amazing. Wow. Yeah. That's absolutely amazing. And I wish Jake were here to, to tell the story better and, and do the dialect better, but maybe next time. I think no, that's that great. I think that, that played like, quite well. Sounds Thanks. like something that he'll um that'll stick with him for a long time. It will stick with him for a long time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cool. Much like the beating I'm gonna give him when I get home today, because every Saturday at three That's the rule. That's when I beat my son. Tradition. <laughs> <laughs> Here we are to the the fifth song. Number five. 
video to hear this for the first time and his voice i'm like wow he sounds really sexy and i look over <laughs> that's a normal looking almost like a like a redhead kind of that's sherman way <laughs> A lot of years gone by. The song really holds up, though. Oh, it totally does. What is this? All right. Why do you have it? So that is called Beds Are Burning, 1987. The band is Midnight Oil from Australia. The album was called Diesel and Dust. And I heard this in a very similar situation to the Billy Bragg song. Uh-huh. Uh, and that is very simply, I was listening to the radio. And, you know, Jake and I have discussed this, but have you, have you ever heard a song where, or have you ever heard a recording artist where the first time you hear it, you stop and you go, oh my God. Uh-huh. Okay. Do you have somebody like that, Maggie, uh-huh. or a song like that? Uh-huh. Can you tell me what it was? Eric Church, These Boots. Okay. And David, do you have a song like that where the first time you heard it, it made you stop and, and pay attention? Yeah. Uh, it was the Ramones yeah. Nice. Yeah. Okay. Was, not not the Ramones. I'm sorry. Um, uh, um, <clears throat> the Clash. Oh. Yeah. Train I, in Vain. Oh, I yeah. can I can totally see yeah, that. Yeah. Train in Vain. Clash. So, again, this would have been uh, 1987. I would have been standing out on the same back porch as the Billy Bragg song, again listening to K Rock, and this song came on, and then I heard one sentence and i heard his vocal and it was all i needed and i said who the hell is this and it turns out this is midnight oil uh, from australia the lead singer is named peter garrett what makes me chuckle about peter garrett is you can see he is he, he is a tall lanky guy with a big uh, hook nose and a shaved bald head he's a scary looking mofo you know <laughs> And he gets really, really involved when they are playing. Wow! David Letterman is is a fan of theirs. You know, you know Letterman is a, a great music aficionado, and has great taste. Letterman, you know, he had Lou Reed on the show many times. Uh, Robin Hitchcock and the Egyptians, who are another pet band of mine. But in case he would have midnight, he would have midnight oil on, and he would sort of half pretends to be afraid of them <laughs> because <laughs> this seven foot guy peter garrett with a bald head and a giant nose and long arms would, would jump around and letterman would, would go now those guys those guys are a a tribe of uh-huh. some kind those guys are uh-huh. you know uh, aboriginal uh, shaman of, of some kind and they are to be feared and, uh, you know, so jokingly, he, w- he would uh, re- refer to their frightening stage presence. But Letterman had great taste in music, yeah, a- for sure. as exemplified by, by the way that he would promote a band like Midnight Oil, that you would never see them uh, 
on any any late night show other than Letterman for sure. Oh yeah, and he would always reference personal relation to the particular band whenever the opportunity arose. Yeah. After his triple bypass, I think he had the Foo Fighters on. I'm trying to remember yeah. who it was, and there was a, a a selection that was just it's what got him through. You know, I, I, b- believe it or not, I think it might have been a quadruple or quintuple bypass. Yes, and somebody said to Letterman. Um, who do you want on the show? We'll get you anybody. Who do you want? He said, I want the Foo Fighters. And the story, I think, is the Foo Fighters were on tour in Spain, mm-hmm. and they dropped everything and came back to New York yeah. to do the show uh, for Letterman. And that, that healing um, song. Yeah. But, but to move away from Letterman and back to Midnight Oil, if you will get that album, and I still call them albums, mm-hmm. every song is as great as the great song that we just heard. Yeah. Guarantee you. I, I will buy it for you if you will not spend the, the four bucks. You heard it here first. That's YTunesShuffle at gmail.com, care of Steve B. No. I'll, I'll, if you want that album, that's I won't buy you any other CD, uh-huh. but I'll buy you that CD if you want it. It's okay. Yeah, that's 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 from the heart. That's yes. from the hat. That's from the hat. It's, per, it's perfectly from the hat. Perfectly. I'm not, it's not hard to love, to love Midnight Oil. So this was your... your Oh shit! Song like this. T- the what, what's the name of? Uh, again, the theme was five songs that made me go holy shit the first time I ever heard them on the radio. Yes, red flag parental warning episode. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Well, there's a segment that I would I would like to share with you. It's called our listener song of the week. Okay. And our listeners, our our tune squad writes in at ytuneshuffle at gmail and they share a song and a story as well. So I'm going to share one. From Arlo from Pacoima, and this is his song, Boz Skaggs' Jojo. And he writes, throughout my childhood, my dad, being one of those most, quote, dad people you've ever met, used to blast what he considered the greatest music of all time at all hours of the day and sometimes late at night. One of his choice selections was this little ditty by Boz Skaggs by Boz Skaggs called Jojo. And as a person who started music lessons at the age of three, I was attracted to and engaged with all the music I could get my hands on. That is, except for the music that my dad liked. Ha ha. For whatever reason, if my dad was playing it over the speaker system, he wired up to play throughout the house. I just didn't want to be hearing it over and over and over again. So as a result of the music being played out loud, I would put on headphones and listen to my own music or play endless hours of video games to drown it out. So this for him was like, I'm going to go listen to everything but. That's so funny. What a memory. What a Y-Tune shuffle, Arlo. It's so funny for me. It's the Eagles. Anytime my mom put on the Eagles, I was like, I'm out. I'm done. Sorry, mom. I can't do it. So this has been the the somewhat legendary Boz Skaggs. Now, can you guys, as music people, name uh, his biggest hit and his biggest album? Music appreciator knowledgeable probably one yeah. of the least knowledgeable like i don't okay. have that kind um, of recall boz yeah. skaggs had a, a song called lowdown oh i know lowdown okay. yeah lowdown was a huge hit it was from an album called silk degrees which made boz skaggs when that album came out it made boz skaggs the number one international pop star on the heels of lowdown the song and the album silk degrees great album disco but but good disco 
Uh, yeah, I, I definitely remember that. Well, if you want to be a part of the Tune Squad and share your story of the week, you can do so by emailing ytuneshuffle at gmail.com. This segment brought to you by your name here. <laughs> David has a little segment we like to call Band or Bar. Band or Bar. Band or Bar. Classic radio type quiz show where you, my friend, Steve Bean and Maggie are going to have to travel with me to Fort Myers, Florida. Ooh, you know something? Can I say things now still? Yes, please. Okay. <laughs> Think it up, man. Fort Myers is where the my beloved Boston Red Sox have their spring training. That's mm-hmm. right. Well, that's and interestingly enough, John Murphy, who was on the show last week uh, from Boston, you okay. may have met John Murphy. He chose Fort Myers for that very reason. He's a Bostonian uh-huh. guy. Okay, so Vanderbar is simply... I go to different parts of the country and throughout the world trying to locate a bar name and a band name that could be interchangeable. Oh, Isn't that genius? I love Don't this. you? Why oh. didn't I, you know, I'm going to pretend I thought of this. Oh, come on. Um, I, may I, I just say that I thought of this? Sure, sure. I'm pretending. <laughs> okay. All right. And um, so I'll read it. And you, you and Maggie can talk it out. And, uh, and then I will reveal afterward which one, in fact, is... The name of the bar or the band in Fort Myers, Florida. So your two choices are Barefoot Saturday or Beached Whale. Oh, my God. Barefoot Saturday <laughs> or Beached Whale, which is the band name and which is the bar name. God, that's a tough one. Uh-huh. Barefoot Saturday and Beached Whale. <laughs> your choices, again, are Barefoot, Barefoot Saturday, Saturday and, and Beached, Beached Whale. Whale. Now you're just stalling. <laughs> my answer is... Beached Whale is a bar, mm-hmm. and Barefoot Saturday is a band. I was going to say that also, because I, if I were a beached whale, I, it would only be because I was drinking too much. Well, it's, it's downright impossible to miss the turn for this time-tested establishment on Fort Myers Beach with signature, oh, with signage that boasts a pink-skinned beachcomber, frothy ale held aloft, sitting atop a purple whale. Such good-natured quirkiness is what has so endeared this bastion of barbecue and seafood to regulars over the years, right there on the beach, the beached whale. You're yeah. absolutely right. Yeah. That's right. The rooftop good. lookout lounge also provides great views of the beach and the sunset. And you know what's most impressive about that is the way that David said, whale. Well, well it's my whale. signature when I do there's, the WH. Yeah, there's an H there. There's always a whale. Well, it's a cool whip. Um, got a lot of mileage out of that joke. And of course, Barefoot Saturday would be our band. They're a local band uh, getting its start currently. They play any open mic, any gig they'll take, no matter what. None taken yet because we are waiting for the right one. So it's kind of an oxymoron here. I don't understand why they're saying that we'll take any gig, but we haven't taken any yet because we haven't been offered one yet. That's what they're saying. The band members are Katie Warrick, vocals and keys, and John Roetting, vocals and guitar. And you can find their press kit on Sonic Bids. Uh, David, I just I never realized until today, mm-hmm. because I wouldn't have, mm-hmm. uh, but you have a wonderful voice for radio. Uh-huh. Thank so, you. Th- Maggie, right? Yeah, he does. I mean, Maggie, you do, but I, I've known David, and, I, and and now that we're sitting here in a radio, it occurs to me that you have a, a great voice for radio. You know, I thank you very much, and, and I've used it mostly for live, uh, but thank you. I, I Maybe I'll, I'll look into that, actually. I, I like doing this. Hopefully, we'll get on the radio with the with this, and I can put it to use. You but should, I, thank man. You, thank you so much. <laughs> Appreciate it. And I'll close with this, Bander Bar, brought to you by M2M Studios. Full production. Full, state-of-the-art television, reels, 
specials, commercials, you name it, M to M Studios coming out to Los Angeles the last two, the first two weeks in August. Just write to us at ytuneshuffle uh, at gmail.com. We'll get you hooked up if you need a new reel, if you got to spice up your, your old reel, if you want to participate in the two-week camp, ages 12 to 21, give us a shout-out. Thanks to M2M Studios. If you do book your reel shoot or your fix-up-your-reel or participate in the camp, we'll give you a 15% discount. Thank you so much, Bill Herndon. And that was Bar Name or Band Name. Now for next week. Next week. Now, Steve, you've got work to do. Where are we going to go next week? For bar name or band name? Anywhere in the world. Oh, okay. The town where I was born. Oh. Uh, and, and In the town <laughs> where I was born. The town where I was born, Lynn, Massachusetts. Lynn, the city of sin. Uh, see, and now you're obligated to say that. Maggie, you wouldn't know this, but uh, there's a law in Massachusetts where if I'm a person from Lynn <laughs> and you're a person from anywhere in New England... And I say to you, I'm from Lynn, Massachusetts. You have to say, Lynn, Lynn, the city is saying you never go out the way you came in. <laughs> and I could go, I could be anywhere in the world. I could be atop the Eiffel Tower. I could be yes, underneath yes. the pyramid and turn to a guy that I just meet and say, I'm from Lynn. And if he's from New England, he will do that poem mm-hmm. for me. He's obligated to. I wow. always, I always just break it down. Lynn, the city of sin. Lynn, yeah. Lynn, the city. Of but sin. you had to, didn't you? Yeah. You couldn't. Not... I couldn't resist. No. I couldn't. That's absolutely right. <laughs> it's just, it's row. It's just, yeah. you know, it's a it's just part of um, you. Well, thank you for sharing. We've also gone through your fave five. I loved through it through your past. But let's bring it current to 2017. What are you? What is your guilty pleasure? What are you listening to right now that you're like? Oh, I would like to plug my favorite current artist, who is Nick Lowe. In answer to your question, uh, I am listening to Nick Lowe, Mm -hmm. and I encourage everyone to do likewise. What his press release, if he has a press release, will tell you, is that Nick Lowe wrote at least three songs that you know the words to, okay? But you don't know Nick Lowe. Nick Lowe had a hit in 1976 with a song called Cruel to Be Kind. Uh-huh. Okay, so you know Cruel to Be Kind. Uh-huh. The Elvis Costello song, What's So Funny About Peace, Love, and Understanding, uh-huh. that is written by Nick Lowe. And the Johnny Cash song, The Beast and Me, is written by Nick Lowe. Nick Lowe produced Elvis Costello's first five albums. He also produced The Pretender's first album, He produced the first ever punk single reduced in England by a band called The Damned. Mm. And when Nick Lowe became older, instead of trying to continue to rock, he continued to make music, but it became music for people that were his age. So instead of playing the oldies circuit and putting on his old rock and roll outfit and playing his old rock and roll songs, he began to write these sort of mellow, bluesy, croony songs. I love it. Sweet, sweet. That's great. Well, thank you for sharing. And also, this is David's favorite part of the show. We say it is the best for last. But I love every part equally. I know, I do too. Like children, I will never have. And I know this shouldn't be a a problem or a stretch for you at all, Steve, but uh, going back in time, thinking very hard, what was the very first concert you attended, and what was that day like? Oh, my God. I'm so glad you asked me this. <laughs> um, my first concert, I'm, I'm so proud of, and I'm so— you think I'm going to be facetious here, but I'm not. I, I'm so psyched to say that my first concert 
at the Providence Civic Center when I was uh, 14 years old in 1974 in Providence, Rhode Island. I saw George Harrison in his only solo North American tour ever oh, wow. in 1974. My first concert is George Harrison. It was the greatest concert I've ever seen in my life, and I've seen hundreds of them since then. Oh, oh, who'd you go with? My best buddy, Alan Berkowitz. You and Alan, by yourselves or with Parent Guard? Just the two of us. How'd you get there? Um, guys, it, it's such a great story. Uh, Alan and I were, were Beatles nerds. Yeah. At the time... If you were hearing the Beatles on the radio, you were hearing the Beatles solo. Mm -hmm. So you'd hear Ringo's songs. You'd hear George's songs. We loved George. The only thing we loved more than George was Paul. Paul. Mm -hmm. Alan saw on the news one night that George Harrison was going to go on tour and that he was going to play in Providence. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. George Harrison's going to play in Providence. (laughs) So this was before tickets went on sale. This was before... The itinerary was released. We had our mom and dad write a check to the Providence Civic Center box office for George Harrison tickets mm-hmm. and mailed it in weeks before it was even announced. Oh, my gosh. So the day of the concert came, and the tickets had come. And when you open up the envelope to look at the tickets to George Harrison, it says, Section AA, Row A, Seats 1 and 2. <laughs> So me and Alan, we sat in the front row wow. of George Harrison in the middlest two seats wow. of the whole place. And so everybody's looking at us, these two 13-year-old kids going, how the hell did these two 13-year-old kids get front row seats for, for George Harrison? Uh-huh. Well, well, we did, and that's how we did. And, and it stands out as, as one of the greatest nights in my life. Before we let you go... Do you have a corner of the internet? If there are fans that love your work, want to know more, want oh, to reach out to thanks. you. At the moment, I got nothing going on on the web at all. Okay. I used to have a really awesome website called hatsofmeat.com, <laughs> and it was a website for and about hats that are made out of meat and people that wear <laughs> and make hats that are made out of meat. I let that slide. Okay. Uh, it, it didn't catch on the way that I thought the whole world. <laughs> Genius. Um, it's no people of Walmart. But um, if you if you must see something of mine uh, on the internet, you can go to YouTube and type in. Um, let's see, Steve, Steve Bean, I guess. Steve Bean, and in right here. We'll post it in the link in the um, blog. Yeah, there's some. Uh, there's Area some, code three two three. Yeah, I, <laughs> I, I I got nothing. You know, some of my clips of my shows and my commercials are on YouTube. But IMDb. Yeah, you know what? Oh, okay. take care of you. Get healthy. Oh, thanks, man. That's yeah. what I'll do. Yeah. yeah. Good. Well, hey, thanks you for being on the show. You will. I had a blast, and I love you both very much. Great show.